A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Hard-edged, hard-nosed, hard to beat. Where are you coming from in this one? Your 100% essential download. Jim White and Simon Jordan. You've let this get out of control. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. I'm Sam Matterface, and today myself and Alex Crook, plus Martin Keogh, began by taking a look back at the disappointing night for Scotland as VAR stole the headlines. We're also joined by prospective Reading owner William Storey, who outlined his vision for the club, should his offer ever materialise. Plus, we were joined in the studio by two-time world champion Josh Warrington, who was angling for a rematch with Lee Wood after their dust-up last weekend. It's all on Outspoken with White and Jordan. Good morning, Martin. Good morning, Crookie. You're right, okay? Good morning. Yeah, what what castle is that is for this morning? Yeah, it's big, and we got Sir Clive Woodward uh, speaking to us in around about forty five minutes. Looking forward to that. We're hoping that uh, William Story is going to join us. I was uh, tweeting him last night. He uh, texted me back, suggested that he would be happy to come on. He's agreed to come on at ten thirty. Said that's fine. Uh, we're just going to time down to uh, make sure that we can get him through to the desk, and then hopefully he'll be on at half ten. This morning to explain what's happening at Reading. Uh, we were up early this morning on the treadmill, getting ready for it, pumped for the show. What have you been doing since oh, you got here? What a turnaround from Monday. <laughs> I think you had a curry, didn't you, and a few beers on <laughs> Sunday night, and now you're suddenly it's top, about, top hey, athletes. All it's the all about texture, Martin. Yes. All no, about no, it's texture. Been a, it's been a big week for you guys. Big week. Big we, week. We've not, enjoyed it. Not a lot of material you, with the internationals you, and, around. And you bookended it. You, we've got you at the start and we've got you at the end, which yeah. is that you know, was our desire. Good, good. We can hopefully we can improve things today, and maybe there's some thought, thoughtful things that we discuss. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Sir Clive Woodward. By oh the way, God, here we go. Just yeah. two years after be, uh, winning a World Cup, yes, which is fantastic glories. He yeah. came. He went and took a job, didn't he, at, Re- at Southampton Football Club? Yes, he did. Changed yeah. sports. Yeah. How about that? Impressive. Like to, let's ask him about that. How, I remember how it well. That went. I was covering Southampton yeah. at the we time. The they, was he ridiculed for that? Was he taken seriously? <clears throat> Harry Redknapp was the manager. I'm not sure he was particularly receptive to having a rugby man was that involved. Was that unfair? We could have taken a lot of good things from him. Well, maybe we should talk to him about that yeah, in a little while. He's going to come on the programme, so we're looking forward to that. What we might think talk last... about dimensions of the penalty box as well. Oh, for God's sake. It was an interesting discussion with our producer. Yeah. Was a just before referee, you know he's a referee. Just before we walked in, you decided to shrink the penalty. Well, area I think it's too big. In different, uh, different pitches. I think so the Old Trafford, it would be bigger or smaller. I was at Hitchin just a few weeks ago. When you go to low league clubs, I know yeah. you're doing all the big boys now. Yeah. You've had 950 appearances, by the way, co coms or commentaries for Talksport Radio. Remarkable the number of games you've been to. But when you go lower down now, which I do occasionally, yeah. you suddenly see it in the penalty box. It's just like, it's a whole, almost like the whole of the half. Yeah. Is it too big? Should it be shrunk a little bit? Just want you to think out the box. Would you like a gig doing over the box, maybe? Because I think you'd be brilliant for the, the insomniac. I think you'd be fantastic. Well, maybe. <laughs> 
you, you want him to think outside the penalty box, is yeah. that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah exactly but it depends that. how big it is, because actually at the moment it's too big, apparently. It is, it's too big in some right. of these pictures. Shall we move on to Scotland? <laughs> um, because uh, they've been made to wait a little bit longer for Euro 2024 qualification after Spain uh, beat them last night. I mean, look, listen, it was a fascinating game, actually, because Spain missed a lot of chances. They should have been up at half-time, but they failed to really create clear-cut chances, mainly because Alvaro Morata was perennially offside. However... Scotland scored a goal which they thought had put them in the lead. You thought they'd put them in the lead. I heard you do the commentary last night. I was watching on TV and had you in my ears. And you said at the time, they're in the lead. And then it was disallowed. Well, why was it disallowed? Because initially it was disallowed for a foul. And then it was disallowed for an offside. There was confusion amongst the Scottish ranks. There was confusion amongst the crowd inside the stadium. What happened? Well, I think this is where UEFA have um, given themselves an issue because initially it came up on our screen that the goal had been ruled out for a foul. Now, there was contact between Jack Hendry and Unai Simon in the Spanish goal, but it was minimal contract. I think it's very debatable um, if that was a free kick or not. For me, the more clear-cut decision was that Jack Hendry was in an offside position. He was in the goalkeeper's line of view. Now, whether you think he's going to save what was a brilliant hit from uh, very informed Scott McTominay or not is debatable. He probably wasn't going to get there, the goalkeeper, and that's why a lot of people are saying the goal should have stood. In commentary, myself and Chris Iwellemu, former Scotland striker, who was calling for everything, by the way, he wanted VAR to get involved on a free kick on the edge of the penalty here, and I said, well, they can't actually do that. And he didn't think it was a particularly contentious decision. So I was slightly surprised with the backlash, with the comments from John McGinn and Steve Clark. I think he was offside, therefore I think by the letter of the law, and maybe this goes back to the rule book again, I think eventually they made the right decision. Well, maybe John McGinn is re referring to uh, the fact that he's been in the Premier League and his team, Aston Villa, got a goal the other week against Brighton when there was a player standing in front of the goalkeeper. So it was given in the Premier League. Why wouldn't it be given in a game But we thought that like was a wrong this. decision in the Premier League the, at the PGMOL time. have now since said it was the wrong decision. But that is an issue, isn't it? The fact is that offside law is a little bit unclear. There was no way the goalkeeper was going to save it. But well, was he impeded by a player in an offside position? I, I think so. So I think it's a minimal contact from the player, but the fact that he's standing offside means he's 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 in the way of the goalkeeper making that save. The goalkeeper probably stands probably a yard or two further forward. I have to say it was an incredible goal, a fantastic. Finish. It's so harsh, isn't it? Because yeah. it's tiny fractions in all in, in in all ways. It's tiny fractions in terms of the the offside. It's tiny fractions. How much contact really is there? But is he standing in the way? Is he the way? stopping is him from playing? Is he influenced that goal? And I think he has. I think if there's a better chance for that goalkeeper certainly to go and get that ball. I think he stands a, a yard further forward and he maybe makes that save. So, yeah. But I do feel the players. He's overdone it a little bit. And if he's onside there, I think the goal would have stood. Mm. It's not a foul. But I don't think it's a foul in any way, shape, or form on the goalkeeper. I think he's when you put your arm in the air. It's not amongst, a foul though. He amongst might be impeding the, the goalkeeper. The arms if he's offside, of a, of a but it's not a foul. I just think when he's there, that mere presence, he does lean on him a little bit. The goalkeeper ends up in the goal itself, so you can't say there's no contact. There is contact, and I think at the end of the day, the most important thing here, the essence of all of this, is we came to the right decision. Now the Scottish viewers will be we got up in arms here, going berserk, but actually that is correct. And if they would have conceded the goal to the end, they wouldn't have been happy with that. Yeah, I think it, I mean by the letter of the law, it's, it probably is correct. But this is another example of being happy, unhappy with the law, isn't it? Because yeah. I think if you look at it in the round, common sense will tell you that whatever happened in that situation, the goalkeeper was never going to get that free kick. I think you're right, but the problem is the law, not necessarily. That's in not the, a given. Technology. That's not a given. You just said that very flippantly. If that player is not standing, it would have been some save. If that player is not standing in an offside, he wasn't position. even concentrating. If he's not standing, if that player is not standing in that position, the goalkeeper would have been higher up the pitch. 
he stopped him taking up the right angles for that goal. I think the frustration from a Scotland point of view is they, they had to soak up a lot of pressure. You say that Spain didn't create too many clear-cut chances. Ferran Torres, one-on-one with the goalkeeper, should have, sco- should have scored inside yeah. two minutes. But they soaked up that pressure. They obviously went there with a game plan and they had executed it to perfection up until that point. Then they score with pretty much their first mm. attacking set piece. It gets ruled out and then a few minutes later, Morata scores and suddenly qualification is taken away from them. So for now. I, I do feel sorry for Scotland. Yeah, they'll get there, I think. They'll probably get there this weekend because if Norway don't beat Spain, which I think they probably won't, then Scotland are there without having to kick another well, ball. Well, Norway have got a bit of firepower and Spain struggle in front of goal. True. So you never I'm know. trying to make it nervy for the Scots, no, aren't you? Just they've got, they've got Georgia happen. away, their next international. Spain, if, it need a point. If, if it doesn't work out for, for Scotland, will they look back on this moment and think this was the moment where things changed? No, well, I think it'll be fine. Yeah, I think it'll be okay. Georgia away. You're going to get a point there, aren't you? You'd hope so. At least. Um, you've had a bit of a bee in your bonnet this week about um, VAR, haven't you? Did you watch the, really, uh, PGMOL the PGMOL mic'd up show on the... Yeah, I did actually. Yeah, I, I had a little look at that, and I just feel that maybe this sort of respect thing about when they're talking about uh, former players not knowing the rules. It's very interesting that the operator in that room didn't seem to know the rules either when he was asking for the game to be stopped. So it's not just the players. What, what, what which operator? The video operator. The video operator was saying, "Stop the game! Stop the game!" Um, and I think he was the only. Uh, we're. Lo- I'm talking about the essence again about being correct with our decisions, mm. and we've handcuffed ourselves because we don't have a, a fifth interjection possibility, okay? So we have four reasons we can actually interject at the moment for VAR. We should have a fifth for unforeseeable circumstances. I don't know why that's not there. They're now talking about it. They're saying that we've been using it for seven years, but we've only been using it actually for four, haven't we? Yeah, but TMO the has been, TMO has been using it for a similar length of time. Because there better. was trials in uh, the Dutch league and in the MLS before that. Yeah, but the, what I'm saying is this uh, recommendations for change should come much quicker. And we're, we're seeing it now, that, but let's be ahead of the curve. So what else is there that we might need? And I think if you just have that clause, that opportunity for unforeseen circumstances, you can interject at any point as long before the game. We just watched the World Cup, actually. Anyone showing interest in that? Samoa score a very good try. They have, they, they give the, there's all the celebration. They're given the points for the conversion. They then take the conversion and all of a sudden TMO says, no, 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 there's something else here. And then they, they strike out the try and the conversion. And I think it was right and proper because it was the correct decision. It was a knock-on from a Samoa hand. Mm. So, you know, take your time. Make the right calls. Mm. But these accusations are, oh, you don't know the rules. You can't be in... Yes, there is room for the player to be in a VAR room. Okay, okay, it has to be relatively impartial. Has that's to be a not player. allowed by IFAB regulations at the moment. IFAB don't allow non-qualified no, but there are officials to, to, to be part of the VAR process. Yeah, but there are people who participated in the game who know how to win a, win a penalty, how to know gain an advantage. But IFAB are going to have to change the rules to uh, enable that to happen. That's the issue the PGMOL well, well, have got at this moment At least in time. then they, they need to be a part of the discussion. And I know you're going to say, oh, they are. Figo's involved and top players and Wenger's involved. But let's get you know that think tank together when we make the next set of changes, if we're going to make any any adjustments to the current VAR But they've protocol. already said that they're going to. Howard Webb spoke about that on that show. I thought he spoke quite well, actually. He said, you know, we, we are pushing IFAB to do this. We are pushing IFAB to do that. And we think that after seven years, they are going to look at that protocol. I didn't like the comment, which was a throwaway comment, that we would have had, this would have been a situation without VAR in the past. We'd have just had to accept it. No, we, we've got it now. And you have the means to make it better. 
So I didn't. I didn't they like are trying to make it better. I think that we, you could see with the clear communication in the subsequent games that they tried to make it better. And I heard you talking about saying that you know if we've got different people with different languages, how on earth do we do it? You know, we're mm. taking aircraft with air traffic control out of the sky and landing it safely. If we can yeah. do that, we can do that with VAR. That's a really good point. Thanks for listening, by the way, Thank this you. week. I appreciate it. Your one hundred percent essential download, outspoken with White and Jordan. Good morning, you're listening to Sam Matterface and Alex Crook with Arsenal Invincible, Martin Keown. We're here through to one o'clock this afternoon. What's going on at Reading? Yesterday there were reports that the club were about to be sold to a British businessman, William Storey, for £50 million. According to the article yesterday in one of the papers, Storey agreed to clear the club's debts of £50 million, pledged to invest in the playing squad when a transfer embargo is lifted. Reading, though, uh, sent out a statement last night in which they clarified that there is currently no agreement in place with any party and that no single individual or entity has exclusivity in this process. So let's find out what is happening by speaking to the man who's been linked with the potential purchase of the club. Uh, William Storey joins us live on the show now. Thank you very much for talking to us and welcome to the programme. Thanks for having me. Um, just tell us what your interest is in Reading. Well, uh, it's an interesting one because, as you as you know, and uh, there's been a bit of commentary about, there's obviously very stringent EFL regulations at the moment, and uh, they've been sharpened up in the last few months. So you'll probably be aware that uh, there are quite uh, strict rules on what can be announced regarding takeovers or potential takeovers. Uh, and what can't be discussed. So, I mean, in terms of Reading, I'm happy to talk about the club and my views on uh, what, uh, you know, the future could hold. Um, and I'm very happy to talk about Sunderland, Coventry, any any other football matters. But obviously, specifics on a bid, um, I can't discuss um, because obviously there are strict rules around the EFL. But, uh, um, very uh, have you been in touch with the EFL to clarify what those rules are, though? Well, uh, yes, I have, because I went through the process for Sunderland uh, and Coventry. Um, and it's probably worth noting that the structure put forward for both of those deals uh, was um, indicatively approved by the EFL. So obviously, you know, it, in terms of putting together a deal for any club, EFL approval is a vital part of the process. So clearly you don't want to prejudice that, but uh, very well aware of what they are. And, uh, you know, clearly uh, it's very important for any prospective owner to be availed of those. We're, we understand you haven't actually been in contact with the EFL when it comes to Reading. And, and actually, you spoke a lot there without saying much. There's no restriction on you coming on national radio and telling us if you've made a bid for Reading and if the reports that we believe are false that you've had that bid accepted. That's not breaking any regulations. Have you made a bid and has it been accepted? Have you spoken to the EFL? Well, I don't know who your source is at the EFL, but uh, I think they should uh, check their facts. Uh, any prospective owner, and I think we're, we're talking about uh, a prospective deal here, that's the point of the call, uh, would, of course, have been speaking to the EFL. Um, and You'd have thought so. It would be, well, it would be remiss of any prospective owner not to, so clearly your information needs to be double-checked. Um, obviously, EFL approval is, is very, very important. Have you and, made uh, a bid? Has it been accepted? Uh, there are, um, well, I, I can't say on a specific bid. I, what I can say, what I can say very clearly, well, I'll just refer you to my previous comments. But what I can say very clearly, I made a bid 
for Sunderland. I made a bid for Coventry. Both uh, involved extensive EFL conversations. Clearly, a bid for Reading would include the same. And clearly, we wouldn't be making a bid uh, were the EFL process not in hand. So I think that's probably the closest I can say regarding my specific prospective bid, were it to be there. Uh, but I'm very happy to talk about Reading and what, as a prospective owner, I could bring into football, which is extensive. Okay, William, what William, is it I... could you bring? Uh, well, where do you start? I mean, new players, new sponsors, commercial revenues, um, new contacts, innovation. I mean, there's, there's a huge number of things. If you look at, I am a big, big football fan. I have been for many years. I'm a failed player because I got as far as a, a reserve game for QPR. But if you look at, for example, the best people I would consider the best, uh, you know, chairman and uh, football club owners in the league, people like David Sullivan and Tony Bloom. They've done a phenomenal job in terms of player recruitment, running the club, ensuring there's top management at all levels, uh, and ensure those clubs are run fiscally prudently uh, in a way that's not over-leveraged um, and that brings the fans with them, you know? So I think that's very, very important. If you look at previous owners of, of various clubs, I mean, there was... People like Mark Goldberg bought Crystal Palace. He was a fanatical fan, um, but he got absolutely rinsed by agents. You look at Tony Fernandez bought QPR. Same thing, put money in, was an absolutely rinsed by agents. Just didn't have a clue. Everton recently spent, I think it was something like 400 million and yet got no results on the pitch as a result of it. And if you're looking at Reading, for example, as a club, you know, you've had an agent there, Kia Jarabchian, who's been involved at QPR and involved at Everton. He's done extremely well. The club haven't. You know, Paul Lintz was there last year. I'm not sure he did a great job. Um, you know, ultimately, recruitment's a big thing, but I think it's an ethos throughout the club. And you've got to have owners and or advisors that actually understand the game and are there for the right reasons. And also, hopefully, are actually fans of the club. You know, I mean, if you look at, um, you know, big clubs who actually bring in club legends, who actually have people who are supporters, I think that makes a huge difference. And even Newcastle now, you know, doing very, very well. One of the key things that I think has kept the fans very much on the side, apart from obviously money, has been local kids. You know, it's, there's a core of Geordie players in the team. So, you know, at the end of the day, football is full of all sorts of different characters. But if you're going to own a club, I think you have to understand the area. You have to understand the fans and primarily understand football. Um, and Reading is a number is, is among a number of clubs that have been badly run. I don't think that's unfair to say. No. John Medeski was obviously a very prudent manager, uh, sorry, chairman, uh, Mr. Reading. He put all sorts of money in, into the stadium, into the local region. I think he lost a lot of money with the Lehman Brothers thing in Reading Town Centre. And it's a shame for Reading fans that he left but uh, subsequently it's just been a bit of a shambles and clearly from my perspective were I to go into Reading uh, things would be transformed very very quickly. Um, let me ask you this question because there's a little bit of concern and yesterday we had Kieran Maguire who I know that you've engaged with on social media over the course of the last few months suggesting that some of the previous companies that you've been involved with have uh, been liquidated with millions of pounds worth of debt so when you talk about financial prudence can you understand why there are some who are a little bit concerned? Well, I think that's our phrase, isn't it? Those that can do and those that can't talk about it. I mean, he's a financial journalist who's ever run a business. So, I mean, I would say with respect that the bloke's utterly clueless. So I did mean, that happen or not? Well, I've been involved in multiple companies, many of which have been huge successes, uh, you know, 
Part of success is failure. There have been some companies that have not done so well, and he has, of course, highlighted those. But at the end of the day, you don't start from nothing and build very successful businesses without a few bloody noses. Now, if he wants to do a fair, objective analysis, then perhaps he wants to talk about the companies that I've created that have had valuations of of up to nine figures. So he, he seems to strangely have omitted those. So at the end of the day, I said to Kieran Maguire, very happy to have a discussion with him. He, he purports to be an expert. Well, experts in the last few years have been largely derided as clueless. Um, and I think Kieran Maguire is following that trend, unfortunately. I think you're spot on, William, when you say that those who can't talk about it. What happened with your sponsorship deal in Formula One? Why did that get terminated early? Great question. Um, I Thank would you very say much. That yeah, Rich Energy uh, is a brand and product I created. We felt it was better than the market leader, better than Red Bull. Red Bull have taken me to court on multiple occasions. They were desperate for me to not to get into Formula One. When we did, they were desperate to get So, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I, I take it as a compliment that the market leader has come after me a number of times. Um, we are working on a return to Formula One. And I think you'll find in due course... That the rich energy will be a very, very competitive product in the marketplace. So we, all your, co- all your contractual obligations were paid. Were paid. There were no issues in that well, respect. If you go, if you go into the facts of this, um, it's interesting. I had eight lawsuits in this area. I've won seven. I'm on the front foot in the eighth. If you want to actually have a look at Haas, they themselves came out with a statement saying it was an amicable parting of the ways. But I think Haas are desperate not to go against me in law because they will actually owe me a lot of money for defamation. So you know, again, look at the facts. The, the reality is, if you're a small company and uh, you know potentially even a little bit unorthodox, people ask questions but rather than seeing um innovation um you know people are seeing things that aren't there william um, just just this martin our former player at reading I, I, how can you kind of alleviate the fears of the to answer that question though yes we did pay house for every single race that we did Good. and you want to ask them that question because a lot of mud has been thrown but it's not legitimate and i have a very very valid case for defamation against them so very proud of what we did in formula one and potentially people need to look at that again and see a very successful small beverage business that had the temerity to take on red bull and of course you know got a lot of mud thrown at us will are you reading from a script there i just wanted to ask you a question Certainly as a former not. former player from played for Reading Football Club, lovely football club, great people there. Can you reassure the fans that what's the driver for this? Are you an entrepreneurial are you an entrepreneurial business person? Do you love the game? Is it about ego? I'm hearing a lot of ego listening to you talk. And I'm wondering, are you really and are your pockets big enough? Have you got the money well, to inject into this football club? Or are you I, just going to... Listen, I love football. It's about football. I do, of course, have a consumer brand, which I want to promote. And, you know, clearly I would be looking at the Rich Energy Arena. Rich Energy is the shirt sponsor, naturally. But the reality is what I'd like to do is build things. You know, I've not started with anything. I've created everything from nothing. I want to build something successful. I think football is a phenomenal game. If you look at clubs that are available, Reading has a huge amount going for it. It has a fantastic fan base that are motivated and passionate, hence the concern of the last couple of days, which I fully understand. And I think it's really important that somebody that I can speak to them or any prospective owner can speak to the fans and set out their vision for the club. Um, I think it has a superb stadium. 
um, a superb infrastructure, Category 1 Academy. Um, it's got some brilliant people involved in the club, including Ruben Seles, who I think is a superb young manager, who retention of him would be a huge priority for any prospective new owner. Um, and I think as a platform, it has all the potential to, to do every bit as well as the likes of Brentford, which, are, you know, are, in my view, a smaller club punching above their weight. So I think what you'd need to do is come in, you'd need to invest, you need to get the right recruitment in place, you'd need to ensure that you didn't have locust agents all around the place um, leeching on the club, and you'd need to ensure you know, real collaboration with the supporters groups to build a vision for Reading. Now, a lot of people, proper football fans would say, well, where are Reading as a club? That probably their natural place would be somewhere in the middle or to the top of the championship. Clearly, what you would want to do is try and create momentum to try and get into the Premier League. That would clearly be the holy grail. But financial prudence, running it properly, um, you know, and you'd obviously want a lot of supporters of the club in senior positions that would go the extra mile for the team and the club. OK, so where you talked a lot about investment, you talked about recruitment, you talked about ambition there. Where's the money coming from? Is it your money or are you borrowing it? Um, well, I would suggest it's, it's a combination. I mean, it's some, some of my money were, you know, for any prospective football bid, where's the money coming from? Partially myself, partially from investors, um, partially from commercial partners. But, you know, any bid that I would put together would be fully funded, robust and involve fiscal prudence moving forward. But the reality is, if you were to look at Reading, for example, my understanding is their losses are of the order of 17 million a year. You'd need to very, very... Um, quickly look at where those were. You'd need to plug the gaps of working capital and you need to ensure new revenue streams um, and obviously, you know, run run efficiently. But I think the key thing would be to start turning things around on the pitch because momentum on the pitch leads to, you know, increased attendances, you know, an excitement around the club and an ethos of ambition. And I think it's also worth mentioning, if you are talking about Reading, that Di Yonga, who has put in a huge amount of money into the club um, and I think his heart was in the right place or has been in the right place and I think potentially advisors around him you know a la agents um, are probably a bigger part of the problem Okay um, you, you, you talked about Red Bull and them coming after you and being sort of almost a disruptor in a particular market and not necessarily uh, being welcomed in that. We've mentioned some other accusations or concerns about you that have been floated in the last 48 hours or so. Do you think you've been misrepresented? In what context? By do you think, do you think that the, skeptic, the scepticism about this bid is, is misplaced? 100%. I mean, I think it's totally ill-informed. Um, you know, and as I said, uh, ultimately, the facts always come out. Um, listen, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's easy for journalists or detractors to have a pop at somebody. Most of my detractors uh, have never met me, um, you know, and I'm not sure I want to meet them. But uh, ultimately, you know, absolutely. I, I'm very, very proud of what we pulled together. I was very disappointed to miss out on Coventry um, because we had something really, really good lined up. Uh, for them and hopefully um, you know we will get a football club very soon and we can show what we do um, we can do it's, it's about results isn't it this this 50 million pound offer that, that we read about that you've not confirmed or denied what would you actually be buying because our understanding is that Dai Yong who you mentioned there has already moved the training ground and the stadium 
so that it's owned by separate companies. Are you buying the debt? Are you buying the, the football club? Are you buying the stadium? Are you buying the training ground? Because £50 million for a League One club seems excessive. It would be a record, wouldn't it? Well, it's a very leading question, but I'll try and answer it as best I can. I mean, the bottom line is, were one to be considering buying Reading, then obviously you would look at the structure of all those companies and it would be imperative to have the stadium and the infrastructure included. So it may well be, hypothetically, that you'd be buying several businesses involved in one deal uh, because, you know, to build a foundation for success, you would need um, a stadium and training ground and the necessary infrastructure. And the reality is this is in Berkshire you know um, it's not in uh, you know Sunderland you know the price of land is, is very very different so obviously you know you've got to take that into consideration Sunderland are a far bigger club than Reading though with the greatest respect in the world well they are um, they are they are a in terms of fan base. I mean, they're one of the biggest in the country, and I think they've got among the best fans in the country. Um, but you know, obviously, that's a very different region. Um, but you know, Reading, as I said, it, it is a club that most people would say has huge potential um, and it has the necessary infrastructure to offer that. Um, and I think the um, the ceiling for Reading is very very high. And I think under the right leadership, they could definitely definitely get back into the Premier League. And that you know, realistically, that's going to take potentially three or four years. I'm not, you know, not naive on that, but it would require a lot of commitment. It's a long-term commitment. And I think uh, a point that I would make is it's a football project. It needs people who are really passionate about the game, who are prepared to get involved, who are prepared to put their hands in their pockets and, and really invest for the long-term. And that's why the club wouldn't appeal to the usual sort of speculators and spivs that hang around football clubs, um, you know, who are usually interested in, in property elements. This is a football projects that requires long-term commitment I think if the right person gets hold of the club the potential is enormous Okay, well listen, um, you said there is quite a lot of potential and you've got a good vision for the club, let's hope for Reading's sake that it all works out in a positive fashion and thank you very much for coming on the programme this morning and articulating your vision uh, potentially for Reading Football Club It's that time of the year Your vacation is coming up You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. 
Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Huge game, Ireland against uh, New Zealand Saturday at 8 o'clock. England, Fiji is in Marseille on Sunday and France against South Africa. I'm delighted to say now that the uh, World Cup winning coach from 2003, Sir Clive Woodward, joins us live on the show to discuss what will be a thrilling weekend of rugby at the World Cup. Hi, Sir Clive. Talking about this weekend, if reports are correct, it looks as if there's a possibility that Steve Borthwick is going to drop one of his best players from the pool stages in George Ford, as well as England's most consistent player from the past two years at fullback Freddie Seward. Uh, Freddie Stewart. Um, has uh, the coach made the biggest calls here of his career? Is it the right thing to do at this stage of the tournament? Well, I guess we're about to find out. It's easy on hindsight. And uh, I'm just pleased he's made the big calls. I mean, I think England have been fairly conservative in the way they've approached the game and selection. But these are big calls he's made in, in terms of, you know, bringing in Marcus Smith at fullback and uh, moving Aaron Farrell to 10. But, you know, um, England have played 4-1-4. It's, it's funny in rugby, I think, especially we get pretty carried away sometimes with the, the quality of performance and how we're playing. End of the day, World Cup's about winning your next game. And I remember... In 2003, we lost. Oops, we lost. We beat Wales in the quarterfinals. We were red hot favourites. Didn't play very well. Wales played really well. I was hammered after the game. The media went crazy. England didn't play well against Wales. We're in the semi-finals. We're now playing France. I remember Jeff Powell, one of the uh, the guy writing for the Daily Ma- the Daily Mail, came up to me after the game and said, "I can't believe all the rhetoric from the rugby journalists. You know, you're in the semi-final World Cup. Just win your next game. And that's what it's about." And England doing well. I think the calls he's made, Borthwick, are, are the right calls. He's added a bit of kind of bit of almost more interest into the team in many ways. And I think we've got every chance. I mean, the Fiji game is going to be tough. They beat us just a few weeks ago at Twickenham. But I think the, the team is improving. It's a much better side than played at Twickenham. So I'm very confident we will beat Fiji. And then we're in the semi-final of the Rugby World Cup and anything can happen. That's sport. That's why we love it. And I think we have got a good team. We're not obviously one of the favourites. But crikey, get to semi-final. We're in, a, we're in a great shape. So just well done to them. You know, win your last game. Fine, everything's fine, and we're in, we're in good, we're in a good shape. I think to beat Fiji this 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 week this weekend. You mentioned that that Fiji defeat. It was seen a bit of an embarrassment at the time. Do you think England will be determined to gain some revenge this weekend? Will that be part of the fuel to their fire? I'm not sure it is. It's all kind of good rhetoric from the, the media and myself who works the media now. But at the end of the day, you still win that next game. So what what's happened in the past is totally irrelevant. England got a good side. I think Fiji are even stronger than they were when they beat us at Twickenham a few weeks ago. This is quarterfinal World Cup, and I think the World Cup, you know, the pool games are all great. This is what we wait for. These are big, big matches, and you, your whole career is on the line here. The players as well. You don't get many chances of, in, in World Cups. They're there. They've got a quarterfinal stage, and again, they should win. So a lot of pressure on England, but I'm just pleased. There'll be a lot of kind of noise around was the selection right or wrong. Win the game, the selection's right. It's as simple as that. If he wins the game, we make the semi-finals. We're in a great position, and the Northern Hemisphere, all the teams are in a good position as well. You know, and led led by France and Ireland, obviously. But England and Wales are in good positions now, and it could be a great weekend for Northern Hemisphere rugby. And I'm very confident England will beat Fiji. So, Clive, pleasure to have you on the show. I'm a big rugby fan, and I've heard you speak after many international games in the green room. Uh, as a guest of Lawrence Delalio, so um, great to speak to you. Just, it's interesting listening to you going into management mode. We're just about to go into battle, and you're kind of like batting in the hatches down, and you want to support it. But look, those key decisions. So you've got George Ford and you Farrell in midfield. Are you playing both of them, or one of them, or none of them? What's your call as a manager? Put your manager's hat on again, just for one more moment for us. 
I'm, I'm Martin. I think yeah. you'd be the great number eight, by the way, Martin. Doing <laughs> we'll never know. I can just see you playing alongside. Lo I can see you playing oh. alongside Lawrence Delaglio. Oh, I'd love to. Play yeah, with I'm, him. I mean, it's um, yeah. I, I just, I mean, they're, they're massive calls, and Steve's made a huge call, but it would have been very easy to leave well alone because they, they played four-one-four. I think the easy call was playing Ford at ten and playing Owen Farrell. Personally, I like Fowler at 10, and I think England got three great 10s, Martin, in terms of um, obviously Farrell, George, George Ford, and Marcus Smith. So I don't mind who was. What, what, what do you make of it? Is it, is it as easy on the eye as you would like? I mean, one of your pet peeves has been the lack of speed throughout the team. I think it just in terms of when you look at the side, personally, if I was picking the team, we would get a bit more pace in the actual side. Um, but also, we can't change that, that now. The squad's there. You've got to pick your 33 players and go for it. Uh, I'm just pleased, you know, I think Borthwick made a mistake last week when he played Ford and Farrell. You've got to play one person at 10. Farrell is a 10. There's no other position he can play. You can't keep moving around. And in the way, because he's kind of a little bit bigger than Ford, he gets moved out to the centre. I think it's been quite tough on him. But England are better, him starting at 10 or Ford starting and not both both together. And and Fiji will be tough. Make no bones about it. You don't be off, you know, he's walkovers. But I think England, literally look at our team, if we really start to play just a little bit quicker, uh, especially the speed of the ball from the ruck, I think we've got a big, big chance of actually winning with something to spare. And if we could just beat Fiji with a little bit to spare, I think we go in the semi-final in a really great, great place. But just got to keep all eyes on this Fiji team. They've been the kind of the standout team of this World Cup and they've been playing some great rugby. Everyone's kind of favourite side now, unless you're English. Um, but it's, it's a great matchup for England. If they can get past this game, anything is possible. Uh, but make no bones about it, it's going to be a tough game. Like all four quarterfinals are all matching up to be great, great matches. So, so Clive, just the, the, the format of the competition, and we, we have a big thing in, in football about player care, and it's every seven days that they're playing. But do you think somehow it takes a little bit away of the fever of the World Cup? Because we have to wait seven days, basically, for another game. I know that was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but there's a big, huge gap in between. I've really enjoyed the ITV coverage with you guys on there, but there's nothing in between. So it's almost like you were forgetting about there's a World Cup and every weekend is like, oh, it's a pleasure, we can watch the rugby again. But there's the the gap between the games stops it, stops it catching on fire. Yeah, Mark, you're absolutely right. And there's, it's once you've got this player welfare at the top of the agenda, top of the kind of list, it's very, very hard because they're saying you've got, you need seven days between matches and that's mm -hmm. player welfare, player safety. It doesn't help in a World Cup format. You're absolutely, absolutely right. And when you've just got such a big big gap between games, you do, you do lose some momentums. And I have to say, one or two of the games have been just too, too one-sided. You know, you just don't see that in World Cup in football. You don't see massive big scores. You don't see a five, six nils. It tends to be far more competitive. But some of, this, some of the matches have been too one-sided. So I think that's why everyone's really pleased now we've got to quarter-final stage where there's something really at stake. And these are four massive games. There's not a lot of sports on this weekend, so there should be huge coverage on ITV for all, all, four, all four games. And... Let's face it, France, South Africa, New Zealand and Ireland, they're the grace to final. And these are quarterfinal games in Paris. So it's a great weekend for rugby. And hopefully that, that gets past the kind of, and I, I'm agreeing with you, Martin, that there's just been big, bigger gaps yeah. and sometimes you lose momentum. And that's been quite a feedback from a lot of my friends and people I, I, I speak think the, to. I think the group stages, they might have maybe put the odd midweek game in there and uh, you know changed it around a little bit. Your 100% essential download, Outspoken with White and Jordan. There was a huge fight last Saturday night and it was massive and it was billed as massive and it lived up to expectation. It was a terrific bout. Uh, Josh Warrington is with us in the studio. Uh, Lee Wood, uh, in the end, came through that fight and somehow rescued victory from what looked like certain defeat at one point. Josh is with us. You OK? 
Not too bad. Not too bad. Have you recovered? Because it was a, it was a brilliant fight to watch. It was a captivating fight to watch, and obviously it took a twist right at the very end. Yeah, I mean, physically you can see Sam. I'm I'm bang on. I'm not bruising. Um, I I didn't feel really. I took many punches apart from mm. towards the end. Um, felt like I've dominated the fight from more or less first round. Uh, you know, I've said if first round was pretty close, but from then onwards I, I seemed to take off with it and. Um, all until that round seven where everything changed. Yeah, everything changed in the blink of an eye as well, didn't it? Martin and I have been watching this fight probably two or three times now. Yeah. And every time we watch it, we still can't see that coming. Yeah. Did you feel it slightly turn or, or was that just, were you just caught by a quick combination which changed the course of history? No, I, I, I feel it was a, the old round in general. So what I need to do is paint out the picture of the round. So I'm, I'm winning the fight up until the seventh. I go to throw a shot just a straight right hand over the top. I feel like I'm, um, I mean, watching it back now, I feel like that's a bit wild, is that, Josh? But in, the, in that moment of it being in the ring, I give a little feint, I throw a right hand over. It's a bit wild. Lee turns, it's like the side of his head towards the back. Um, the referee stops it. Pulls me to the corner, he says, Josh, last chance now. It's your final warning. And because, I, because it was an illegal strike? Apparently so. Even though it's set off, you know, they say there's no rabbit punches, which is the back of the head. Yeah. This was towards the, like, the, the, the back end of the side. So it's landed there. Um, he says, Josh, no more of that, no more of that. I said, Michael, I protest my innocence. It wasn't uh, an illegal blow, it wasn't intentional. He then, from that moment, takes my hand and he says, Josh, point off. So he's gone from giving me a final warning to, to taking a point off. So instantly that changed my way of thinking. I'm thinking, I don't want to lose this round. You know, I've started the round off uh, fantastic. Least I can do is, is draw it. You know, not give the round to Lee. So I pick up the tempo. I pick up the pressure. Maybe a little bit sooner than, than, than I would have done. Because bearing in mind off. what you've just said, you yeah. thought you were winning the fight all the way through. Yes, and we've watched it. Yeah. You are probably scoring high on the card all yeah. the way through that fight. You didn't really need to rescue that round, did you? Didn't, I did, well, I just I didn't want to lose a round. Mm. I didn't want to lose a, a round, Sam. I wanted to win every single round. I didn't want him to gain any, any momentum. Yeah. I didn't want him to go back to the corner and Ben Davis and say, right, he's a point down. You're going to get you one closer. You know, pick up on this. I didn't want him to gain any <laughs> encouragement from that. So I thought I'd take the fight to him and... Did you mentally lose control then? Yeah, that point? Lost de cool yeah, definitely did. Definitely bit. didn't. Like in, in that last 10 seconds, you wear the klaxon go, you know, to signal that there's Just 10 seconds it. left. Now, I'd have been more cautious in that last 10 seconds, keeping my wits about me. But hearing that, I thought, right, win last 10 seconds, win last 10 seconds. You've got to win this last 10 seconds to win the, make sure you definitely win the round. And that's what caused me to, to jump in, not taking nothing away from Lee. What a brilliantly timed shot. Mm. You know, not really a big punch, but timed perfectly. My momentum goes into it. It catches me, startles me, and sees an opportunity. It's more four to five clean ones. I go down. Yeah. And then... Uh, and then the, then the fight's called off. Well... And, and you don't think that was the right decision I at don't, the time. But when you've reflected on it since... Yep. Did you think, actually, I understand why the referee did that? I can understand now. I can understand his argument, but this is world, this is world boxing. You know, this is a world level boxing. It's not a domestic competition. This is not a fighters, a two pair of fighters who were just starting out in the career. This is 
a fighter who have both this is, been this is world featherweight titles this is, this is, this is fighters who have both been down in the careers and both gone on I mean Lee's gone on to to win a fight after being put down and being out cold mm. like more or less for, for three rounds you know I was dominating the fight Michael's a judge as well as a referee he will have known that you know seeing the, the fight close up that you know I'm probably winning the fight the bell's gone I've heard the bell when I'm on my back mm. you know and it wasn't a ding ding it would have flown bring, you know everyone in the arena could hear the bell so saved by the bell I, I, I get there's no there's no save by the bell that's what they, they make that clear there's no save by the bell but I instinctively I walk back to my corner my old fella's getting onto the side of the canvas to get into the middle of the ring I hear six seven eight and on eight I turn round because on eight they don't want to they want, the referees want to see you walk forward they want to see you wipe your gloves they want you to show that you, you can still continue. defend yourself yeah. yeah so listen I get up Sam I get up and I'm on unsteady legs on four and five and I walk as I walk up to the corner, get the feeling back into my legs, and then I, you know, let a few swear words out because I'm, I'm annoyed. I know that my old fella's going to give me a, a, a rollicking in between <laughs> rounds and say you got the caught with a silly shot there. But when I turn round, he's already waving it off. Now I, I feel that I should. I think he was been... asking you. I mean, when you watch it, it looks as if you're unable to to defend yourself, and it looks as if the referee is doing you a favour to come mm -hmm. back and fight another day, and maybe we we might see that in in a rematch. But it looks as if he's telling, asking you to turn around to, so that he can fill your gloves, and you're not able to do that. No, he never asked me to turn around. He didn't. No, he never asked me to turn around. He's he just, he's just counting away. Like I say, six, seven. I know, I know, eight. That you need to, you need to show that you're ready. So that's why I turn around at eight. You're an experienced you know? fighter. Yeah. You've been around the block for a long time yes. now. H have you ever been in that situation before? Have you ever seen that situation develop before? Do you think you? because of your experience and because of the amount of fights that you've seen and been involved in mm. do you think that you were harshly treated or did the referee do the right thing on reflection no, I, I, like I say Sammy we, we, I think you have to take into consideration the other factors the factors that I was up well in front on the scores um, the fact that I'd, I'd hardly taken any heavy punch, punishment up until that point you know you could see Lee had an emerge a few times it was marked very heavily um, if I'd have been taken heavy punishment and then it happened then was he convinced by those unsteady legs though as you said when you were trying to get up on five or four four and five you, you were unsteady on your mm -hmm. legs do yeah. you think the referee already had it in his mind once seeing that maybe so maybe so maybe that's what's maybe that, that's what got him but at the same time there's been fighters who've been worse situations and the bell's gone the bell's gone there's, there's a minute there I'm in my corner I, all I need to do is sit down. Mm. I've got a full minute to recover. Have, from have you have you spoken to anybody else in the fight game who has said to you that they concur with that decision? Because we had Gareth A. Davis and Spencer Oliver on this program yesterday, both of whom said, "Yeah, it was a bit of one of those where you, you could see it going either way." But when we both watched it at the time, we both yeah. thought, "Yeah, okay, fair call." Yeah, I mean, I've, I've I've spoke to many boxing reporters, boxers themselves, who said you should have been given the opportunity. Like I say, there's been boxers who have been stumbling all over the place and been allowed to continue with with you know minutes to go in the round. They've been able to fight on. This is the end of the round, and and that's that's. Listen, I understand that referees in a in a pressure cooker. I understand that they have a duty for the British boxing board control to protect us as fighters. Yes. But you have to take in what's going on in that moment in time. It wasn't at the start of the round. I can understand if there's only 10, 20, 30 seconds gone because I've got to survive for two and a half minutes then. Yeah. But it's the end of it's the that round. that respite that you it's, know yeah, exactly. is definitely so coming. Th that's where, you know, like I say, if if, we want, if I wouldn't have heard the bell, then I might have just stood there instead of walking over to the corner 
What happens next then? Because obviously you feel sore about the way that this fight ended. Is, is, is it a rematch inevitable? It seems like there's a big public appetite for that. Could it almost be the start of a trilogy if you were to win the rematch? There could then be a decider at the end of that. Hey, it'd be nice. It'd be nice. So, you know, a trilogy, I make it one apiece next time and then uh, you've got a deciding one. And with two domestic fighters, everyone loves a domestic fight. I mean, the um, I think the audience was in, in for the tree oh, with the, the atmosphere, atmosphere was brilliant and stuff on Saturday night and the way the fight and not only that the way we conducted ourselves as well yeah, yeah, yeah. there were no screaming shouting talking about each other's mothers there were no throwing pies or throwing flipping tables it was just respectful throughout shake hands we had a barn stop of a fight hell of an atmosphere it's, it's, a, diff- it it's a difficult you have to respect the referee don't you and I'm l- looking here for I'm looking at the boxer and I'm thinking is there any uh, ill effects from, from the other day just seven days ago and I don't see any I don't see a nick on his face, he's like he's come from a beauty parlour. So oh, you're, you're you. looking, you're thinking, <laughs> you're well, next to you. you're thinking, well, okay, you might feel, uh, and you, <laughs> <laughs> you might feel that, you know, okay, let's look. Is there any kind of um, ill effects for that fight? Was is he slurring his words? Is he is he is he thinking clearly? Uh, he very much is. Um, so let's talk about rematch. Is it going to happen? You and Lee Wood have, have conversations already started. Yeah, I've, uh, I was. Tucking my face into some uh, mac muffins on, on Monday morning, trying to trying to sorrows in the fast food, but um, then I had a had a couple of phone calls with already uh, <laughs> in, and uh, you know he he talks about a potential rematch, and you know the talks are already accelerating for that, and and I've seen Lee come out and say in. Um, in bits and bats of media and social media posts. Uh, Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast from. I'll be back next week as Jim and Simon take a well-earned rest. So join us then and we'll have the best of the show. All that was in the comments was Warrington, Warrington, Warrington. So, you know, the fans' demand is there. You know, the boxing interest is there. Let's make it happen. Okay, so what would that look like, though? Because I'm sure he gets to dictate better terms this time around. Right, I guess I think he got to dictate them anyway I mean we met in the middle ground because uh, you know we've both got big fan bases um, and then I think of Peter Caird booked every Saturday until Christmas <laughs> up until so it, up in Manchester you in Sheffield didn't you yeah we did yeah so yeah. I think Manchester were fully booked out and um, so was London too so we, we couldn't do that um, but this time listen Lee said for a long time that he's wanting to go to the city ground I'd be more than happy to go there you know I've done a couple of stadium fights myself I've done on road I've done um, Headley uh, the, the rugby stadium yeah. of the Leeds Rhinos so yeah I'd happily go to the city ground and take uh, my bar in Leeds lot with me be a good atmosphere that's for Most sure. definitely I mean uh, like I say I've, I've, I've witnessed it first hand um, you know when I boxed Lee Selby in 2018 the majority well 99% of the fans who were there were for myself but when you've got fans on either side it, that's what makes a special atmosphere because yeah, they bounce of it and they, go, they argue with each other you know I'll be honest with you on, on Saturday night after round one it seemed to be just my lot were making the noise I'd more or less silence Lee's not lot up until um, him getting the win and then uh, they come out of the woodwork then <laughs> I was intrigued by what you were saying earlier about this fight was uh, conducting the right spirit. There was none of the shenanigans that we've been seeing, even surrounding this misfits match, yeah. if you like, at yeah. the weekend. What did, you, what did you make of that? John Fury yesterday punching bits of glass and people spitting on people and chucking microphones. I mean, when him and Tommy sit down and away from it all and, uh, and the fight's been done and he's looking at his bank balance and he says, I tell you, that's why I've done it, son. That's why I've done it, you know. <laughs> it's all part of the act, part yeah, of the cabaret. I, I think so, mate, yeah. I mean, and, and, and people out there are um, I mean, naive enough to, 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 to buy into it, do you know. Um, we'll see how, how, how the actual contest is on Saturday. Will it be as 
volatile and it will be as violent as what no two normal professional fighters do I don't think so but it seems to be that these events the build up is probably more exciting than the fight itself well it captures the imagination they think that the, the, one of the last fights that, that was on the Misfits card was 650,000 pay-per-view mm. subscribers as a result of that so you can understand yeah. financially yeah, yeah. why it's attractive yeah. but do you think it sort of clouds that the purity of boxing as a sport because yes. we were even talking yesterday to Gareth A. Davis and Spencer about the idea of it feeling a little bit WWE yeah exactly exactly that and boxing it's not a joke it's not a joke people get hurt People get hurt, and I've always kind of backed these guys and thought, you know what, they're bringing a different audience to it. They're bringing a younger audience, maybe they're bringing, bringing a fresher audience, um, so fair play. But then when you start getting the world governing bodies involved, making up ridiculous belts and titles and stuff like that, some fighters go for all, for all the career and don't even win an area title, mm. never mind a, a world-recognised um, organisation But is that belt. boxing's fault that it's needed this sort of... Does it demean the sport? I, yeah, I think it does. I mean, listen... But how's he got uh, to that situation? Imagine two celebrities just carrying on with each other and saying, we're going to have a tennis work match at Wimbledon. Nobody would really tune in, with because you know the, it's not going to be at level, it's not going to be entertaining. But I just... I guess that's what's different about boxing. It's a drama. In, it, I think it sets a bad example. But, but, it, but the is it the problem that actually one of the issues that we've had in boxing, especially over the last few years, is that we haven't had those big fights, those big grudge matches haven't been made at the right time. And because we haven't captured the audience's imagination, another sort of load of interlopers have managed to yeah. sort of come in, disrupt and detract, yeah, yeah. and actually take that ground. Yeah. Maybe that's a maybe that's a lesson to boxers and promoters going forward that. People don't want to see you you as a champion fighting someone who's had 18 losses, yeah. defending your title again. Yeah. They want to see the 50, 50 fights. They want to see the the Errol Spences and uh, and Terence Crawfords. They yeah. want to see the Anthony Joshua's and Tyson Fury's. Don't let people wait because in this day and age, things move on quickly. And people lose concentration. Exactly. So Money talks though, doesn't it? But the, the fighter ultimately decides but, uh, who he fights. Ultimately, the fighters, the fighters in the boxing business is going to lose. If the fights are not made, so discredits the sport. You know, yeah, exactly. So, um, you're a big Leeds fan. Yes. Um, Leeds, one of Leeds' is, uh, minority owners is about to join us in the next oh. few minutes. Um, what would you say to them about the current season? Are you happy with it? Yeah, yeah we were. We, we've started out. I'm, I'm quite happy with how we started out. I think um, Daniel's kind of been getting to grips with. Always, you know, a solid starting eleven is. We've got some. We've got depth, and I think over the last few years. With Marcelo and with uh, and with Jesse, we we we've lacked that depth. And uh, did you, know, you see the relegation coming last season with Jesse Marsh? Would yeah. you stop? You yeah, I I I got listen. Jesse was a lovely guy. Met him a fair few times. Um, really nice to talk to. But uh, you know, tactically, you know, it was we gone from watching champagne football with Marcelo to you know it was he was still aggressive, but at times just looked lackluster. We you know we didn't have no defence. We just rubbing headlights at times, and uh, there was never a plan B. He kept saying you're playing well, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> we showed it's great spirit spin. in there. We showed great it's spirit spin. in there. And, you know, it's all right, showing great spirit, but if you haven't got three points on the board, then you, know, you could get disappointed. Welcome to the Coliseum of Confrontation. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast from. Jim and Simon back next week to bring you the best of the show. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. 
so you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rustolium.